This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Anita Lowe isn't just one of the most acclaimed women chefs in America, from competing on Top Chef Masters to winning Iron Chef America to cooking in the White House for the Chinese president and the Obamas, and even maintaining her restaurant's Michelin star for a whopping nine years. She's also one of the most modest. Coming up, you'll hear how love of literature and French morphed into a world of restaurant kitchens for Anita. Why Anita writes in her new book that cooking for one person, yourself, can be an act of self-love. How travel and appreciation of all cuisines led her to her own trend-setting signature style and even an award-winning restaurant. And how Anita's positive can-do attitude has kept her moving forward in the face of everything from recipe failures to a disastrous restaurant fire. In the vast culinary landscape we share... We are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us, in our own way, is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Anita, welcome. I am so happy that you're here with me today. Um, We don't know each other very well, but I am a huge fan. I have watched your career. And um, just so happy to be with you so we can get to know each other a little bit. When I started writing a few notes for today, I wrote, Anita, you are considered one of the world's most acclaimed women chefs. And then I said, no, you just are one of the world's most acclaimed women chefs. I took out considered. But when I say women chefs, tell me how you react to the fact that I even said woman. Is it time for all of us to let that go? It's a big Uh question, right? It's a really big question. I think it might be too early to let it go because it's not like we're, you know, in a post-gender era yet. (laughs) Right. Um, And I, I think you need to be able to talk about the, I mean, in order to talk about the discrepancies, you need to talk about the category, you know, and, and re- reference the category. So, mm. um, yeah, there's there's still a lot of injustice going on. Uh, there's still a lot of injustice, absolutely. And this really is our time, which is one of the reasons that I thought this was a wonderful time to even create such a show, which is very inclusive and diverse and intergenerational, because I think that's really important. You know, I've been cooking for 40 years, Um I've never had my own restaurant, though. As you know, I've been a consulting chef different places. But it's one of the reasons I've admired you so much. I mean, it turns out that not only do you have a restaurant, had a restaurant, we'll talk about that, Anissa, which you were able to maintain your Michelin star for nine years. That's unheard of. But the fact that you also created so many other restaurant concepts in the city and... Um, well, I, I, I don't know how well I did that, but... Okay, we can also talk Anissa about did that. Well. You know, yeah. not everything can be a success, right? Yeah. We, we also want to talk about our insecurities and our failures too, because that would be the most helpful, I think. But you've accomplished more than most people in the food world ever will 
male or female. So you're a Michelin star chef, received three stars from the New York Times for your wonderful restaurant in Nisa. You're an Iron Chef winner. You defeated Mario Batali. Wow. You are top chef's masters. You're the creator of a few restaurant concepts, as we said, and a cookbook author of actually two books. And we're going to talk about one extensively today called Solo. So I love the pun, the double entendre, right? It's so you, right? So low. And of course, solo also means cooking for one, a modern cookbook for What's the subtitle exactly for Party of One? Party of One, yeah. Cooking for a Party of One. I love that. Uh, So you've had the kind of career so many people dream about. This is maybe too big of a question, but uh, how and where did it begin? Maybe even start with your first food memory or what it was like growing up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a really food-obsessed family, as many, you know, Chinese families are. Um, But yeah, my first food memory is from when I was like two years old. Uh, and, and I know I was too, because I was in Malaysia for the first time and I was on my aunt's back porch, which is the same house she's been, she's lived in, she lives in now. Um, and I was eating a really good orange in in Malaysia. The fruit is amazing. Mm. Um, and it was dripping. It was so juicy. It was dripping down my chin and it was dripping into whatever I was wearing and it was (laughs) going down my shirt and off the you know, up down my arms and dripping off my elbows. And I just remember just keeping on eating this. And then my mom came over and cleaned us, cleaned me up. Yeah. <laughs> that is such a beautiful image. I'm thinking about you, too, with your dripping elbow of uh, orange, <laughs> fresh orange juice. Uh, did you know to peel it? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm someone, I mean, it's possible I peeled it myself, but... Or maybe it's not. I don't know what do, do two year olds peel and watch? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe it was maybe it was actually give, peeled and given to you. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it amazing about food memories and how potent they are? Yeah. And it turns out, um so I'm getting the actually I'm hearing texture, wet, coolness, stickiness, sweetness. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe also kind of the bouquet of the yeah, and it was and... it was hot there, and yeah. it was just it was such a wonderful thing to be, you know, hydrating with this, you know, living so beautiful know, fruit. So, yeah. did you grow up in Malaysia or elsewhere? And then, where where did you go? Like, sort of, what was your childhood like? Because I I really don't know. Oh, I grew up in Michigan. Actually, I grew up in a suburb of Detroit called Birmingham. Um, yeah, my mom was from Malaysia, so we had, you know, her her side of the, much of her side of the family lived there, mm-hmm. and so that's why we were there. Um, my father was from Shanghai. He died when I was three, mm-hmm. and I re- and um, my mom remarried, um, you know, Caucasian American from Denver, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, but they were both working, so you know, we had multiple. Um, nannies who were taking care of us and uh-huh. they were from all over the place the one that stayed with us longest was uh hungarian so ah so that's my background so we can talk about did she ever make you cabbage and noodles do you know this dish i don't remember cabbage and noodles i <laughs> you know we had chicken paprikash was my favorite dish growing up ah. yeah and she would make it you know sometimes with dumplings which is probably my favorite way yes um she would do it sometimes over rice which is my least favorite way <laughs> And or with egg noodles, yeah. So this is so funny too that you would not like it over rice when that is kind of part of 
Asian or Chinese cuisine. But so there was something about it that didn't make sense to you even back then. You were sort of a, a culinary intellect, even when you were a young kid, that you knew that something <laughs> did not work with this chicken paprikash and rice that just wasn't the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> I think my mother made something called gnocchi, which was more like a, a dumpling. Yeah, sort of yeah. A, and my nanny would cook it right in the in the pot with it. And I never got that recipe. I'm sort of upset about that, but... um, It, it feels like it's too late? No, I'm sure I could just... I, that, I, I'm glad that you told me what, what the name was. Yes. So maybe yes. that's... I can probably just look up a recipe. Yeah. And, and knowing you, I think you could probably figure out how to do it very, very well. Um, Anita, this isn't really what this show is about, but I'm just struck by something, and I hope you don't mind talking about it. But you had this very vivid food memory when you were two, and you mentioned that your dad died when you were three. Yes. And I'm just wondering, did you remember him very well? Um, not very well, but I, I have very distinct memories uh, of him. Um, you know, I think he was the cook in the family when he was alive. Uh, I don't remember him cooking per se, but... Um, yeah, I have I have like flashes of memory. Yeah, mm. and some of them are connected to food. Uh, I don't think any of them are actually. Ah, okay. Um, or maybe I'm just not remembering right now. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're they're more like images, you know, mm-hmm. like getting being in my the you know the there's a lot of kitchen memories for some reason, but um, that works for me. Giving me like uh. <laughs> Those like orange flavored, they're really kind of disgusting. Those um, children's um, aspirin. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's what I remember. I don't remember why, but uh, yeah, they were up in the cupboard with the um, glassware. <laughs> you know, these really uh, memories and images and smells, and but I'm also hearing something else. Uh, this is what I love about this show, because we never know where it's going to go. But this idea of orange, and you know, I really spent a lot of time with your cookbook, the new one, Solo, um, a, mo- a modern cookbook for a party of one. Um, and there's one recipe that just jumped out at me, and I want to tell you about it, because it also, it seems like orange is a theme here, because it's a broccoli rob toast. Orange. All right. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the most interesting ideas and interesting combinations. So Really? Yeah, to me, yes. Yeah. Um and maybe it was just the the actual wording of the of the dish. Let me see if I have it here. Then I'm, since we're already talking about food, I'm going to ask you another food question. So, um Anita, you probably don't know, but I teach a class called the language of food and I look at menu language as a form of literature. And I think a lot about chefs and poets and how they use language uh, to create desire and anticipation and longing and like what's going on in our brains when that's happening? Because, you know, it's words on a page. A poem is words on a page and a menu is words on a page. And and yet very few of us go out to eat because we want to eat chicken. But there's something that's happening in the experience of reading a menu item. Um, and this happens in cookbooks too. Why do people gravitate towards cooking what they cook? I call it the rules of recipe attraction, but a lot of it has to do with language. So um, the dish, the name of this dish in your book is called Broccoli Rob Pesto and Charred Orange Toast. Come on, that's gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. In Thank addition you. to just the flavor combination, just there was something about that felt like a little poem to me. Well, thank you. And then you had another um, interesting phrase that I had never seen in a cookbook before, but it felt like something from a professional chef for sure. So when you talk about garlic, 
So you'll have a clove of garlic, comma, pasted. Right. Okay, so tell me about that. I've never seen that before. I know what you mean, and I know right. what it is. But yes, but for the home cook, so what's happening? How did you use that word? Um, is that you know, I actually talk? wasn't thinking about it that much, but yeah, it probably is kitchen talk. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's when you mash it so much that it turns into a paste, mm-hmm. you know, so that you don't have little bits of garlic and it's just one, it melds seamlessly into the whatever you're putting it into and... You know, wonderful. And is there some salt with that too, or it's just a plain? You could. It makes it f- faster to to do it to do it. But um, I usually just do it on the side of the board with the back of my knife, and you know, and it's pretty fast. You just take it and you mash, mash, mash until it it's a paste. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's those are my questions from your cookbook. Yeah. So um, again, you had a career. It's really incredible. I don't know anyone else who really has this. Um, this many kind of accomplishments at such a high level. So did you dream about being a cook when you were young? How did this all come about? Oh, no. You know, when I was really young, I thought I'd be a doctor like my mom. Oh, your mom's a doctor. Wow. Yeah. Um, And did she have a specialty? uh, She was a hematopathologist. Yeah, she was a blood. Study of blood? Yeah. Um, Yeah. um, (laughs) Then what went wrong? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, a series of mistakes. Um, well, I was in college and I was um, studying French. And, you know, there's, I mean, what do you do with a French degree? Um, but, but so where did even that come from? So to me, that says literary, romantic, uh, Virginia Woolf, uh, Simone de Beauvoir. I mean, were, yeah. you, a femi- were you an early feminist? Oh, sh- certainly. Yeah. I mean, a, a my dreamer. mother was a doctor, you know, and she was, yeah. I mean, growing up in Michigan where we grew up, I mean, I think you, uh, they were also, you know, um, big on social justice, I think. So, but, uh, but growing up in that sort of monochromatic suburb of Detroit, yeah, you're very aware of all all of of social injustice in general and indifference and otherness and yeah so um so french so french and it was a p- place to um where these ideas were were being thought about and um written about and um you know it was just a beautiful language and you know the there it is a culture of food. I mean, you know, I mean, it's even into the literature. Then what happened? How were you able to parlay this into a, a career when very few women were really working in such esteemed restaurants? Well, I mean, you know, we after I graduated from college, um, I just applied around to all, you know, I thought I could keep my French language skills going and go work in a French restaurant. And so I applied to a whole bunch of them and um, I got accepted to Boulay. Wow. Yeah. And so I... What was the year? 1988. Okay. Early on. Were you the only woman? No. um, Well, (laughs) there was one woman in pastry, Mm -hmm. of course. Of course. But but no, um, Amy Sherber was on the line. She was? Yeah. Maybe many people know her from Amy's Bread, and she's exactly. amazing. But this is, I'm enjoying hearing this history so much. So you and Amy were at Boulay, and good for David Boulay, one of the great, you know, chefs hiring 
Yeah. It, it was, yeah. And she was on the fish line. So it was like, great. You know, it's not just, um, yeah, at least you had someone to look up to. And um, yeah, Carrie Heffernan was there at the time. And this is like old home week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you all went yeah. on to great things. Yes. Yeah. So. so that was a very happy experience for you. You loved that. Yeah, I did love that. I mean, it was hard. I mean, I started during the heat wave of, it was like a 30-day heat wave in 1988, and it was just, I I couldn't handle it. I was like, every night I was getting heat sick, and, you know, I, I just didn't have the muscles for this kind of work. Mm. I wasn't used to standing. I, you know, I got I had like a knot in my calf that wouldn't go away, and my mom thought it was a blood clot, and it's like, go to the emergency room now. I'm like, <laughs> I never went. But, um, and then I had... um. Yeah, my forearms were killing me. But I, you know, but there was something that kept me there. And it was just like, you know, they had these scallops that were like, you'd cut them and they'd be moving around the edges. I'd be like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh <laughs> So my you God. weren't fearless, but you were open and curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was he a good teacher, David Boulay? I. Yes and yes and no. I mean, he was a little bit, you know, he's, yeah, I mean, he wasn't like a nurturing teacher by any means, but he, um, you know, he certainly you know, taught me about ingredients. Yeah. And just simplicity, I think. Which and was, simplicity. Oh, that's yeah. a I mean, he was interesting notion tip. for, yeah. because um, you do think of French food at that level as actually being very complex and sauce rich and well, all it that, was, but maybe not. Yeah. I mean, there were sauces, but it was, you know. Because he was, was a like, real intellect too, right? Yeah. In a way, his food was intellectual, but I mean this in a really good way, right? Sometimes that can be very off-putting. Yeah. But David's food was exciting. Yeah, and he's and he's still killing it, which is amazing, you yes. know. Um, you know, a lot of chefs have uh, stagnate when they get older. You know, it's just, you know, it's. Um, but he's he's really kept up with the times. I think that's the way I feel about you. Oh, um, and you. then after Boulay, we can do sort of a quick down memory lane for you because I really don't know your your yeah. history. Oh, I went back to France and I went and got a. I, I didn't get my degree from Lavra, and I went. I got my degree from um, the Ritz Escoffier, and. Uh, which was awesome. Um, I spent a year there at that time. I did some internships. And then I came back and I worked at Chanterelle. At Chanterelle. Which I loved, yeah. <laughs> With um, very good reason. Yeah, it was a great place to work. Um, you know, we were working five days a week. Uh, it was just really, you know, we'd sit down for staff meal. It was just really civilized. Oh, staff meal. That was yeah. always my favorite experience. Yeah, and it was really good. I mean, exhausted, and yet you're eating together, and it becomes a family. And you're usually eating really good food. Well, not usually, and oh no, not usually. (laughs) In most restaurants, no. Like, yeah, I mean, at Boulay, we used to have like baked chicken every day. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like someone would take some salt and pepper. At least they'd salt and pepper it, and just throw a bunch of chicken legs in the, and that was would come up, and that would be it. You know, Um, and maybe I'd make a salad or something like that. But you know. Uh, but at, at Boulay, it was like, you couldn't pay, you know, it, it, it was like eating in a in a great bistro every day, you know. At uh, Boulay. Not, at Chanterelle. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, this sounds so wonderful. Yeah. You know, what I'm enjoying so much, Anita, is that I'm just feeling, I'm like embodying all of the wonderful feelings that you're putting out there about your connection to these restaurants and being in a kitchen. And uh, I can't wait to hear more about when you decided that the most important thing for you would be to open up your own restaurant. So we'll talk about that soon.
here's a cooking tip to share. It's a recipe for one of my favorite simplest soups, and it's wonderful for summer. It's called sweet tomato watermelon soup. Only three ingredients. One pound of ripe red watermelon, seeds removed, one pound of grape tomatoes, and a tablespoon or two of pesto. Combine the watermelon and tomatoes in a blender and process until completely smooth and velvety. Add a pinch of salt. The amount will depend completely on the flavor and ripeness of the fruit. Chill well and top with pesto. From my kitchen to yours, give it a try and pass it along. when you decided that opening your own restaurant was the most important thing for you? Huh. That that was after I was the chef of a place called Marezzi on Fifth Avenue. It was a quote-unquote Pan-Asian restaurant with a focus on Korean cuisine. Um, the owners were um, Korean. Um, yeah, and it... You were you the know, chef there? I was the chef okay. there. That was my first chef job. Um, no, that was not my first chef job. That was my second chef job. Um, no, that was my third chef job. Damn it. <laughs> uh, wow. It's, everything's getting foggy. Um, in any case, we had gotten reviewed by the New York Times. I got a really good, you know, two-star review, which is, I think, all that that restaurant could have hoped for. Um, and that the, may be when I first really started to know about you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've known, we've known each other for a really long time, um, just from the scene, but not, um, not socially. But the, um, yeah, so we were, we had gotten this review and uh, they, you know, Ruth Rachel had really loved some sort of, it was not really a pho, but it was kind of like a pho. Um, And that is the way to pronounce it. It is pho, pho, even though it's uh, it's spelled P-H-O. Yes. Okay, but it's pho. Pho, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, Which is a soup. A noodle soup, the, yeah. It was, yes. it was Anyway, I had a noodle soup that had rice noodles in it. Um, and the closest thing I can think of is pho. So I, I had um, something on the menu. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, you know, people really liked it, and Ruth Rachel loved it. And... Um, that's saying something. Yeah, and the next <laughs> week, um, you know, the head honchos all came in. They, we have, we kept on having all these meetings. There were, it was a corporation that owned it, and um, they're like, you know, they they didn't like that soup, and so I was like, we can't change this right now. It just, you know, like it. I don't know. And what it, were they thinking? So you they, have they the New York have, Times critic, yeah, raving about the soup, and they said they it's time to take it off. Yeah, they didn't have because they didn't like it. Yeah, like they personally didn't like it. So it was just like, yeah, I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, I, I realized at that moment that I really, the only way to get, you know, full creative control. And it was really kind of at that moment that you really gave yourself permission to really think about, okay, maybe this is now my time to. to yeah, do because this. I had always said, like, I never wanted my own restaurant. I looked at, you know, I just remember working at Boulay. And, you know, we were in the basement. He's like, yeah, well, when you have your own restaurant, he was something saying something like that to me. I was like, I don't want my own restaurant. This looks crazy. Yeah. He's like, then what are you doing here? It's like, amazing to hear this process because yeah. many people listening to this show are 
people who have this fantasy about opening their own restaurant and to hear now that it really was not your dream. You love the you love the work. You love being in the kitchen and that was it. And it wasn't so much about the um kind of this reaching this goal. But then there was a moment that you said this here's the time. And you were so seriously educated at that point with cooking school in Korea and France and Working yeah. in these great restaurants. I mean, uh, David Waltuck always told me not to open my own restaurant. It's like, you don't want this. The owner of Chanterelle. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, you're probably right. <laughs> so did you give them two weeks notice, Anita, or did you leave that day? <laughs> no, I, I think I gave them I gave them a lot of notice and I, I helped them. Um, I did help them, you know, adjust the kitchen for when I left. And uh, I actually went back and helped them close at the end um, just because. Very generous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So since I've never opened a restaurant, um, how does it work? (laughs) I mean, we don't have uh, 24 hours, but we have a few minutes to discuss it. In a way, do you come up with the concept first? The name is so beautiful. I don't really know what, is that a, a, a woman's name? Is it? Um, yeah, I mean, there are women. There's actually two babies named after Anissa, um, which is awesome. And named after the restaurant. After the restaurant. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, so, so where did the name come from? What was your intention? What was yeah. the rest? What did you visualize? What was the dream for you? Well, it, a friend of mine who was an Arabic studies major um, helped name it, and um, she thought it was cute because it was closer close to my name. And I was like, okay, I don't want that. It's just too close. It's going to be a problem. People are going to think my name is Anissa, or that. You know, it's a combination of me and my partner's name, Anita and Lisa or something. <laughs> and yeah. And um, but we worked, we we looked for like and it means women in Arabic. And she thought it was cute because it was the two women who owned it. And um, we looked for a whole year. We went through, you know, I literally went through the dictionary. I went through baby books. I went through <laughs> um my old college, like astronomy book, you know, I, like yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, names are hard. I, yeah, I, I love coming up with them, but yeah, I yeah, and so I, we went back to it, and I was like, well, you know, it's great. It's like elegant, um, very, um, but it's it's not too hard to remember. Uh, starts with an A, so you're at the top. Um, yeah, and I think that it had a lot of good bones. You know, being women in Arabic, I think um, it means gracious in English or something like that. Mm. I think it means light in Nepalese. It means, yeah, it's just a lot of nice things. Beautiful. And then what did you, how did you imagine the menu? It was contemporary American, which was great, because that was also at at, um, Merezi. It was, I I felt uh, restrained by the the Pan-Asian concept. It was just, it was was too little. And, you know, I I was French trained, so... And what was the year that it opened? Because that would really tell me a lot about kind of what might be on the menu, even though I've been there. Right. But, uh, early on. Uh, uh, 2000, we opened in 2000. Opened to, okay. Yeah. So you had this restaurant for 18 years? 17, yeah. 17 years down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, you know, you, I had started a contemporary American restaurant so I could do all these different things. And people are still only letting you do you know, Asian things are only, you know, like all people were asking me to send in recipes for various publications. And like, no, we were expecting something Asian. Can you do? Well, that's kind of what I was yeah, getting like, at a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that is pigeonholing. Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. And yet, you know, there are so many um, 
wonderful rewards at the end for you, I think. So uh, MasterChef and beating Mario Batali and Top Chef, I mean, there aren't that many women on those shows or weren't when you did it, because this is quite a few years ago now. Yeah, that was, in, I don't remember what year that was, but it was the early aughts, yeah. Was it very fun, very exciting? Yeah, it was great, yeah. It was really fun. And were um, you surprised that you won? Um. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Of course. And I, what was the winning dish? Well, we it was a. Well, you're talking about um, Iron Chef, right? Yes, Iron uh, Chef. Iron Chef was a battle, a mushroom battle. So uh, we had a whole bunch of different mushrooms. Uh, I had to do. There was no winning dish. It was like five dishes that you had to make. Um, yeah, and I I made a whole bunch of different. I had a smoked chanterelle with uh, some sort of corn custard and bacon, maybe. Mm. Um, I had I had some lobster mushrooms with lobster and some sort of demi glace, I don't remember. Uh I think we did that chicken. Wonderful. Yeah. With the pig's feet. Pig's feet and sh- mm. chanterelles, yeah. Possibly. Well, I yeah. don't know if I actually saw that segment, but I would say that you absolutely deserve to win. Thank you. <laughs> and congratulations, Anita. <laughs> You've heard about the extraordinary places Anita has been. Coming up, you'll hear about all the wonderful things she'll be doing. And the gate to the garden is reached by a road. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. So first, I want to talk about your newest book. You've written a book um, before, I think it was maybe almost 10 years ago, Anita, right, called Cooking Without Borders? Yes. Which so describes your food. But now you have Solo, and it's about cooking for one, a party of one. And I spent so much time with it for several reasons. Number one is I was really attracted to the cover and the name, but I don't cook for myself. And I know there are those who do and those who don't. Right. So my husband definitely cooks for himself, and I have other friends who will really celebrate themselves by making a lovely meal. And I tend to eat a piece of cheese or um, just eat whatever's in the refrigerator. I don't do that for myself. And I said, you know what? Maybe it's time. So I found a wonderful quote about your book that I loved, and it had to do with a kind of self-love that your book brings to people. I I just adored that. I appreciated that so much. So and tell me, tell me about that, this idea of self-love and cooking for yourself. And what does that mean to you, especially coming home from a, a long day at the kitchen? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think sitting down to a meal is one of the greatest pleasures in life. I mean, for me. And so why would you, you know, why would you eat a, bowl of popcorn for dinner like that just you know if you are what you eat like do you really want to be that bowl of popcorn you know like over the sink at night no (laughs) you know and I think um I think it's actually you know somewhat of a feminist issue I think women are 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 taught to be you know giving to others and not to themselves and um yeah, it's not that hard to cook for one, you know, it's just you can, I mean, everything is, you know, it's, it's not that much prep, first of all, because it's just for you, you know. Because <laughs> small amounts, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. That just yeah. tiny little quantities of things. Yeah, and why shouldn't you have something that's like, 
you know, varied and delicious and and balanced. So um, that's how I feel about it. But, you know, I get it. Some people just don't like to cook. So what were some of the rules that guided you for doing a cookbook for one? I mean, I think every recipe had to be really fast. And, um, you know, most of the recipes in there, and not all of them, um, but most of them take like 30 minutes or less. Um, And, you know, I was trying to be aware of how many pans you were going to use. Like, you you know, you don't want to be cleaning a lot either um, when you're just cooking for yourself. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, I was also trying not to waste anything. Yes, I noticed that you are fanatical about waste, and you have been for a long time. I mean, I know this has become kind of a a social activist issue and very, very important for chefs today because we're talking about it so much. Yeah, I mean, I think I came from a family that was, you know, very focused on that. I think, you know, we, you know, we had traveled a lot. We had been to the developing world and seen how, you know, that's just, you know, food access is, is not universal, you know. Um, and so you do need to, you know, you need do need to honor it on some level um, and respect that. And um, I don't know. We 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 were, you know, in the sixties, we were recycling things. We were one of those families, you know. Oh, okay, so this was early yeah. on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I grew up with. Yeah. Many of us were not that aware. Um, yeah. So that's wonderful. I did notice in your book you have a recipe for. I have trouble pronouncing this word, and maybe you can, but. Um, you make shrug from carrot tops. So, I can't. I can't pronounce that either. <laughs> I didn't. Yet. <laughs> I can't, that's not even close the way I said it. Yeah. So it's spelled like Z H O U G, and it's a very spicy condiment from Yemen. The yes. Yemenite spicy con- yeah. condiment, but that you're using carrot tops is just like awesome. That, um, but they're a little bitter. So are you blanching them first? I didn't read the recipe that carefully. No, I mean just, I like that bitterness actually, okay. and I think it goes pretty. It, it's paired with. Um, some roasted carrots and uh, a squab, which are all are are a little bit um, are rich. Yes. Okay. So I think that bitterness actually balances a little bit. There's a lot of other stuff in that um, shrug. Yeah. I, I just call it <laughs> no, shrug. that was good. <laughs> Who knows? Um, so it you know it, it's not just that carrot top in your face. Yeah. Right. So that's a great great example of a, a way not to waste. I also noticed another word in your book that I had never heard before and I thought it was absolutely fabulous. So you say you are a hospital a hospital hospitalitarian. A hospitalitarian. <laughs> Sounds like you can start a new movement and I'm signing <laughs> I'm signing up. Anita, where do I sign up? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? I had never heard it before. Oh, it's it's a <laughs> well, it I guess it's a neologism that combines hospitality with totalitarianism. <laughs> so, And the word hospital is in there, too. Right, exactly, right. yeah. <laughs> well, food and medicine and, and, and all of that. Um, and what does it mean to you, that word, exactly? Well, it's just, it, it, it's sort of a unquavering view of hospitality, that things have to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're, I mean, I, I think... It's, it's it was a joke, yeah. <laughs> but it's a wonderful one. Thank you. Uh, also, your writing style is personal and funny. Did you always want to write, or did you really? Which which one came first? Or you kind of learned you had to learn how to write because you were 
putting together these recipes and Oh, no. Uh, well, you know, I have a literature degree. I mean, oh. it was in a different language, but yeah. Are you funny in French? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, my first cookbook, Charlotte Druckmann helped me. She wrote most of that. I did write a little bit of it, but she wrote most of it. Um, this one was a lot easier. So I didn't hire somebody, and I had more time at that time. Wonderful. So, um, well, you really came through. You know, your yeah, it was style. it was fun. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, I wanted to write something. I thought we could poke fun of it. We could poke fun of the, um, you know, the the cultural taboo surrounding eating by yourself and. And being alone and, you know, being a cat lady or whatever, you know. <laughs> well, it's going to change my life, so I really, okay, I really appreciate it. Um, before I ask you what's coming up next for you and what's meaningful for you right now in your life, um, what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I, you know, if I if I end <laughs> up at, at home, I'm going to have um, – I have some shiso leftover um, – so I think I might be having some spaghetti mentaiko. And I bought some sugar snap peas from the green market yesterday. So, I'm, so I just, spaghetti and sugar snap peas and shiso? Uh, no, it would be spaghetti mentaiko, which is a traditional Japanese dish. Oh, I don't Menta- know what it is. Mentaiko is a, is a cured cod roe. It's a little bit spicy. Oh. Uh, it's delicious. And is it's, it like kutarka? Is it no, like it's not, as, it's like not dried like that. Ah, okay. But it's, um, yeah, the whole sack. Like batarga, ah, okay. um, not dried but cured, um, yeah, and um, yes, yeah, so it's really delicious. It's just and it's so easy to make. So I can't come because you only cook for one. I'll cook for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do you just double the recipes? I actually think you say that in the book. Yeah, exactly. I mean, easily... I think it's you know it's a little bit oppressive to me that everything has to be for four. You know, like True. a lot of people aren't a family of four. That's you right. Know? Especially and, in New York City. Yeah, and you know what? You can um, multiply. It's a lot easier to multiply than divide. So, you know, all of those recipes can be multiplied to however many you need to feed. Sounds perfect. So, um, and really, congratulations on on the book, Solo. It's just a wonderful cookbook. So you've had so many successes in your life. Uh, I'm curious about how you've handled failures or rejections or the dip- some of the more difficult moments. Well, gosh, there's been so many of those. Um, you know, I think growing up how I grew up, you know, I mean, just so many losses, you know, con- you know, those constant loss because the nannies that used to come through my house, the my father dying, you know, being in a, you know, just being in Michigan where nobody looked like you, Um was was pretty difficult. So it just it was just part of life, you know. I think when things happen you just endure. You know, like when the restaurant went burned down. You know, I was like there's I mean you have no choice. You know? Like this is and and actually in those moments I I tend to just relax, you know? Just sort of like okay. And I I relax and I focus. And um you know, you do things one by one until it's over. Hmm. Feels very zen. <laughs> feels very feels very mature, especially, you know, after a restaurant burns down. And I mean, there would be a tendency to panic and all well, of that. Yeah. But... And we we 
I felt like we were losing it like three times. Like it was just, I couldn't get the money to, to, uh, reopen it. We had, you know, there wasn't, um, we had insured it in 2000 and that was, a you know, 10 years later and it's like not, you know, that wasn't enough money. Um, it was taking too long. It was just, yeah, so many, and we couldn't, we had to renegotiate my lease at that point and that was a nightmare. Um, but in the end it worked out and there we were. <laughs> so this feeling of um, relaxing into it and enduring is what yeah. I'm hearing is two maybe real yeah. strengths of yours. Well, relaxing isn't quite the best word. <laughs> I think it's more like just acceptance. Accepting, yeah, because it's just you know there's nothing you can do. You know, I mean it it's happened, and you know all you can do is take it day by day, and that's what you that's what you do. And was there ever a time that you felt very insecure about uh, either? what you were producing or how you were on television. Um, yeah. Oh, I have. Yeah. I, yeah. I've been working on that for <laughs> years and years. Yeah. <laughs> Drugs, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one's as hard on, hard on me as I am. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm my worst enemy. Uh, Is this a female trait? Could be, could be, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I think it's, yeah, it might be Asian as well, who knows. And how do we find you? People are going to want to know about the culinary tours you're doing, but do you have an Instagram account or? Um, yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually not that great at social media. I do not have Facebook, but I have Instagram and Twitter, which are both at Anita Lowe, NYC, A-N-I-T-A-L-O, NYC. Perfect. And I recommend that everyone get uh, Anita's newest cookbook, Solo, so you can experience a little bit of self-love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what else is coming up for you now that you don't have the restaurant, which is such a huge chunk of time out of one's life? Yeah, I mean, I'm still figuring it out. I, you know, I actively took a year and a summer off just to travel. Like, you know, I I remember, you know, I spent so much time just doing my career you know, like literally, like I didn't watch TV. I had, you know, I didn't know what was going on in pop culture for like several decades. And I woke up, I was like, oh my God, you know, I remember I had eaten dinner next to Beyonce and I didn't recognize her. <laughs> <laughs> but she knew who you were. This is no, she didn't. She, no, she didn't. I don't think I'm pretty this sure. This is really she exciting. But like, yeah. And she got up to leave and I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, wow, that was, yeah, that's a really pretty woman. And, um, it's like, oh, is this my whoever I was eating with, like, oh yeah, that was uh, well, something, something, something about Beyonce. I was like, that was Beyonce. I was like, okay, I, I need to get a life. You needed to get back in the world. Yes. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I've been. Uh, I traveled a lot, and I still would like to continue to travel. I've been um, hosting some culinary tourism, some culinary tr uh, trips with um, the Tour de Forks. How uh, wonderful! Where have you been going? Well, we've done a couple of. Um, trips to uh mexico to the yucatan um which is lovely i've got you know i'm still uh we still have some sp spots open for this year's trip which is happening in early december um we rent out um an entire 17th century beautifully you know luxuriously redecorated um hacienda mm. in uh, merida and we do we go to the markets we go swimming in a Cenote, we go see the ruins. 
Um, and then we have cooking classes. So uh, wonderful. How that. do we find out about it? This sounds fantastic. What is the name of the Tour de Forks? Like, like Tour de Forks? Like not Tour de Force, but Tour T O U R the D E Forks F O R K S. So you can go www www.tortoforks.com. Wonderful. Uh, I'm sure many people would want to know about that. Yeah, but we've got trips coming up to um, um, Portugal in the fall, which is sold out. I've got in 2020, we're looking at Alto Adige and Sicily and possibly Japan. Mm. So we're looking for, yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah, it's a great thing to do. It's just exactly, yeah, this is really what I'd like to maximize in my life if I can. And I think about you too as a social activist in many, many ways. So are there some issues that are kind of up front and center for you? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, um, you know I'm, a, I'm a triple uh, minority, you know, I'm person of color, I'm female, I'm gay. So yeah, it's Gay Pride Month. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. it's World Pride is, is here in New York City um, this month. And I'm going to be talking at um, the Museum of Chinese in America, and I'm going to be doing a talk with at Macy's. Wonderful this month. So around Pride, yeah, great. Okay. And is there some advice you could give to someone, Anita, who wants to be in this world, in the food world, either as a cook or as a writer, or even you know forging their own path? There's so many opportunities. Women are so entrepreneurial, aren't they? Well, they can be, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, you know, listen to your gut and, um, or don't listen to your gut sometimes, you know, don't listen Learn to Learn how the, to read your gut, right? Yeah, sometimes it talks and we don't know what it's saying. Yeah, but, you know, don't listen to those voices that that cut you down, you know. Yeah, that's, you can forge your own path and, uh, and stick with it. It's, um, yeah, it's, it can be very rewarding, but... It's not for everybody. And if I can just ask you, what does one woman kitchen mean to you? Yeah, it's a, 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 I mean, for me, I guess it's about being, um, you know, being alone out there and being female is, it can be, especially in the kitchen can be isolating. Um, um, But it's still a kitchen, so you're making things. And you're creating things, and you're creating community, and you're creating creating deliciousness. So that's all good. That's yeah. so beautiful, Anita. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you, Anita. And thank you all for listening and joining Anita and me in my kitchen. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Audio for business.